So thanks for being here this morning and for your patience with me too. I appreciate it. Um, so I want to talk about Jesus. <laughs> I don't really want to stop talking about him. <laughs> um, and the part of him I want to focus on is, is him as our ultimate high priest. At the exact same time, he is our ultimate sacrifice. So there's this duality. He's both at the exact same time. And it's really quite a beautiful... Um, it's just a parallel of his nature where he is the one that's standing in the gap, yet he is also the ability for that gap to be bridged. <laughs> and he's the one praying for us to be reconciled to the Father, and he is actually the means by which we are reconciled to the Father. Um, so I'm going to jump into Hebrews chapter 5 just as an attempt to try and demystify what a high priest is, um, just so we have a little bit more of an idea and a context for it. It's just starting at the beginning of chapter 5 um, of the book of Hebrews. And then we'll go on from there. I'm reading in a translation that maybe you guys don't all read, but it's the NLT, the New Living Translation. Um, I'm going to move into the Passion Translation at verse 7. So if you're like, what translation is this guy reading from? I'm reading from two different translations, and you're probably going to, I don't know, have a little more difficulty tracking with that, but you can just read through it in your own. I'm going to go through from verse 1 to 9. Um, and really, it's starting with the, the purpose or the role of the high priest and also how a high priest comes to be one. Um, I'm just going to jump straight in. Uh, talks about the high priest. He presents their gifts to God or the people's gifts. It's talking about the high priest in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, um, and offers sacrifices for their sins. Uh, verse 2, And he is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. Uh, verse 3, That is why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as theirs. Verse 4, and no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. Or in another translation, says, no one takes the honor himself but receives it when he is called by God. He must be called by God for this work, just as Aaron was. Verse 5, that is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become high priest. No, he was chosen by God. Verse 7 to 9, I'm going to do in the Passion Translation. Um, just to, I guess, articulate my thoughts and heart in this. It's, it's done a little better in this translation, in my opinion. Um, during Christ's days on earth, he pleaded with God. Praying with passion and with tearful agony that God would spare him from death. And because of his perfect devotion to prayer, was answered and was delivered. But even though he was a wonderful son, he learned to listen and obey through all of his sufferings. Verse 9, And after being proven perfect in this way, he has now become the source of eternal salvation to all those who listen to him and obey. So I guess the heart of me wanting us to understand this as a people is... 
because Jesus was chosen by God and it, it talks about even, you know, that today I've begotten you, today I'm your father and you're my son and I've, I've chosen you and, and you're my beloved and I'm well pleased with you. In, in a sense, Jesus' ministry is commenced by those words. Um, this wasn't a position he assumed or because he was God, he just took it upon himself to become high priest. It was something he received from God and was chosen um, by God to walk in, which if we actually understand ourselves relationally with the Father, who Jesus was, who Jesus became even on earth, not that he changed, but he did take roles and responsibilities and he did come for specific purposes. It's actually the same for us. And, and it's important for us to know we're chosen by God. We can't perform for him to get our value and worth in the same way that Jesus was called and um, commissioned to be high priests, we're actually also called to be priests and kings on this earth and to rule and reign And our first ministry, which is why I really felt on my heart for us to linger a little longer in that space of worship, our first ministry is to his heart. And there's no other ministry, whether it's up on the platform, whether it's doing anything that we associate in our humanity with ministry, there is no more important ministry than our ministry unto his heart. And, and Jesus, Jesus captures this. And, and he even says, I'm not doing anything I don't see my father doing. I'm not saying anything I don't hear him speaking. It speaks of an intimate relationship um, with the father. And, and knowing he's chosen his, his ability and, and a part of Christ's yielding and humility was an emptying of himself to require the filling of the Holy Spirit to be filled and, and to be obedient to the Father in everything that he did. He was the perfect example for us to follow and is still. You know, we're not following him around like the disciples were, you know, following his, his sandals and the dust off his feet. But, but spiritually, we're following in his very footsteps. He is, he is the prototype for us. And, and some people have, have trouble with that because they go, how could we look like Jesus? And, and really the answer to that question is because he made you to look like him. <laughs> and what he did on the cross is to make you like him. And, and the glory to glory that some of the charismatic Pentecostals love coining and throwing around, the glory to glory is specific to your likeness imaging His through the Holy Spirit's enabling for you to look more and more like Jesus. That's the glory. There's no greater glory on this earth than to look more like Him. It's not like, oh yeah, we got a better job, glory to glory. I'm sorry, that's actually a misappropriation of the Bible. <laughs> unless you're looking more like Jesus in that job that you got, <laughs> which God willing we are, right? But that isn't the glory to glory embodiment. The embodiment of glory to glory is us looking more and more like him. Um, so just as we move through him being high priest and him being sacrifice, I just want you to journey with me that the same invitation that Jesus received is actually on the table for us to receive, to become a priest and to become a sacrifice at the same time. We're not one or the other, we're both. And because we need to be priests in his temple, which the irony is we're also his temple, but we need to be priests in the house of God, which is this gathering right now. We don't have walls around us, but this is the house of God. And we need to be ministers here. We need to minister to each other in love um, and minister to the Lord with an, an abandoned devotion. Um, we need to lose ourselves in worship because he's worthy of it. Um, not because I need you to sing longer, not because I'm asking that of you. I'm just saying that's what we need to do that's where we find our lives in giving it you know that's what it means to lose your life you've given all of yourself to him you don't have a life you're holding on to anymore because your life actually becomes him in you he becomes your life 
Okay, I'm going to start reading a little more. Um, I'm going to jump around a little bit, which I apologize in advance for those who don't enjoy that, but it is how my brain and mind works. So Hebrews 7 verse 26. Just going to read verse 26 and 27. Just an attempt to further understand his nature, his purpose, actually in our lives and, and the role of high priest to us, because it is this, he is this intercessory person he is this mediator for us in God um, that that really bridges that gap which was symbolically seen in the Old Covenant Old Testament and sometimes we think oh yeah the Old Testament points to Jesus and let's just break your brains for a second Jesus was found in the Old Testament through there being a high priest that was mediating on behalf of God the Old Testament wasn't pointing to Christ to come Christ was saying here I am this is my nature this is who I am to you back there it's like the reverse. He's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He was always the high priest. The high priest order was modeled off Christ, not the high priest order modeling a Christ to come. Although it does both, it points towards him. But he is actually the priest from beginning to end. Um, which if you read, read through Hebrews, it talks about this um, priestly order of Melchizedek, which is one without beginning and end. I'm not going to go into because it just breaks your brain a little bit, but... For the sake of understanding Jesus, he's always our high priest. He's never stopped being and he never will stop being our high priest. And to Jewish people, that would be really significant because all their high priests lived and died. <laughs> um, but he stands forever in the gap, forever. He lives to intercede and pray for us. Okay. Verse 26 in Hebrews chapter 7. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest. Holy innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Verse 27. Who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Just going to go back into verse 26 just to meditate on. Jesus is unparalleled as a high priest because the high priests of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, they weren't holy. <laughs> they needed to actually offer sacrifices and give offerings to cleanse themselves so that they could even move further towards the Holy of Holies to offer those sacrifices for the sins of the people once a year which you'll find in Leviticus chapter 16 and 17 of that atonement. Jesus wasn't needing to offer sacrifices for himself because we know his life was holy and perfect. And, and this word innocent, I just want to just linger on for a second. Because Jesus was innocent, yet was murdered as if he were a guilty man. And Jesus' innocence... Is, is the reason why he could take our sin upon us that he had no part with. He knew it not, but he became it for us because he was perfect and innocent and he went and died and sacrificed himself to actually break the very guilt of sin. Not just sin in terms of the entity or it plaguing our being and being like this virus on the inside of us, but actually the guilt associated with sin. 
He wanted to rip out the effects of sin from the inside of your brain. Because a guilt association with your sin or your wrongdoing, and if that's present in your mind right now that you feel guilty, that is the enemy. Because what Jesus did on the cross was he destroyed the works of the devil. He actually removed the consciousness of sin. And this is something that's an invitation as well as a declaration to you. That for you to think you are guilty is not for you to think what God thinks of you. Because Christ's innocence didn't just stop in his life or remain there. The innocence that he carried, his perfect holy life, he gave to us. It was that, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And it's hard for us to think we're holy and innocent. And how often have you said that over yourself? I'm holy and innocent in God's sight. But, but that word innocence will break the power of guilt because think about in terms of a jury, when they make their, you know, their call that someone is either guilty or innocent, you can't be both at the same time. You're either innocent or you're guilty. And for us, this is going to translate even more deeply. When we stand before God, do you stand before Him as one who is guilty or one who is innocent? Because all of us have fallen short. All of us haven't measured up to His perfection. But when you stand before Him, what's your belief system about yourself? Am I still guilty because I fell short? Or am I innocent because of what He did? And this is where the power of innocence, which we don't speak about a lot, but this breaks guilt and it won't be able to coexist in your mind. If you believe you're innocent, a, a guilt association, which a lot of this plagues people in, in their mental health and, and, and in these areas where people get destroyed from the inside out, is because they think they're guilty. They think they're guilty of things they weren't even responsible for. Okay, but on a human level, we were actually responsible for our sin and Jesus is so good. He wants the guilt associated with it to be eradicated because He wants you to believe you're innocent. He wants to believe you've been made righteous. And, and really to, to honor Him and please Him in every way, we, we can't afford not to believe this because otherwise the enemy will just have his way in us believing we're guilty still, you know. And, and there is a movement in terms of wanting to honor God by, you know, continuing to say we're sinners saved by grace, which is true, but we were saved by something and it was His grace and we were changed from a sinner to something. If we're still a sinner, we're still guilty of our sin and we'll die in our sin. But if we've been saved by His grace, it means something for us. Okay. I'm going to jump into Hebrews chapter 9. I, I just want to hit the nail on the head of Him as High Priest because I, I believe His role and His responsibility as High Priest to us changes and transforms everything. And, and for us culturally, we don't necessarily understand it very clearly, the role of a High Priest. Um, so I'm going to go through verse uh, 11, 12, 13, 14. Um, and also verse 15. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. Verse 12. And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. going to stop there real quick. The, the, the echo of the Old Testament and the priests of old moving through these courts and into a holy of holies, that was always prophesying 
that Jesus was going to do that for us, that we were never going to measure up. We were always going to fail. We were always going to need someone who would stand in the gap and be able to go into the holy place. When it's referencing a, a tabernacle not made with hands, this is literally talking about Jesus going into the heavenlies, ascending to the Father. It's not just him going into an inner room in you know, a tabernacle. It's him actually going into heaven and interceding on our behalf. And his blood is on that mercy seat that continues to speak the better word. These are the things, the good things to come, is that mercy is still crying out over our lives. So even when we fall, we make mistakes. I'm not, I'm not speaking over you because you're holy and blameless and perfect that you can't mess up or make mistakes. I'm saying we can't afford not to believe that about ourselves and then to know his nature in response to us when we do fall. And we do make mistakes. This isn't be perfect in your performance. Our idea of perfection is often so wrong in this world because we're measuring it based on performance. Us being perfect is purely based on his blood that he spilled for us. But he says you're perfect because my sacrifice for you is perfect. The sacrifice and the result of our being and the effect of our state of being are directly related. His sacrifice was perfect and holy. Therefore, you were perfect and holy if you received his sacrifice. The sacrifice he gave directly affects your being. You are innocent because the one who gave his life for you is innocent. His life becomes yours. His holiness becomes yours. The Holy Spirit couldn't come into you if you weren't holy. Which I know, we're broken people and all this stuff, and, and that's great. And, and hang out there for as long as you want to. And you can, you can actually stay hanging out there forever in terms of your brokenness. And that's not a bad place to be. God will keep drawing near to you. He'll never despise that heart. It's a beautiful, perfect heart. But I'm saying you, you need to have a duality in how you see this. That at the same time, he says, your brokenness did not stand in the way of me making you holy as a holy temple of God and filling you with my Holy Spirit. Because if you see it prophetically, he always needed the camp to be holy. He always needed the people to be holy. Otherwise, they need to get out of the camp. And so either like the Holy Spirit literally needs to get out of us because we're actually not holy. The same, the same standard is there for holiness. God hasn't changed his standard on his need for us to be holy. It's just not based on our effort or our achievements or our works. It's based on what he has done in us. And the Holy Spirit can only live in a holy vessel. And so we need to believe we are holy. We need to believe that we are innocent by his blood. Okay. Verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, or the, the outward cleansing of their being. Verse 14. Yet how much more will the sacred blood of the Messiah thoroughly cleanse our consciences for by the power of the eternal spirit he has offered himself to God as the perfect sacrifice that now frees us from our dead works to worship and serve the living God so this is the effect they were sacrificing animals blood just so that the, the external part the outside of the cup metaphorically wasn't defiled any longer. Their consciences, their internal being was still seared by sin. They weren't saved from their sin through sacrificing animals. Jesus' blood is different. Jesus' blood is different. It's not made for cleansing the outside of you. You are clean and you are shiny and you are white as snow in terms of how he sees you when he looks at the outside of you. 
but the purpose of his blood is to come on the inside. It's to cleanse your mind. It's to cleanse your conscience from the guilt of your sin so that you're actually free. Because if you're guilty, you're not free. We know what happens to guilty people, hopefully, that they're imprisoned because they're guilty of their crimes and punishment and justice is still God's heart. (laughs) That they would be imprisoned if they are guilty. But we see the Father's heart. He doesn't want you guilty so that you can be free. Because if you're guilty, even if you're not in literal prison, you're in prison in your mind. So he needs, he needs us to be broken free from the guilt of sin. Not just to stop living in sin in terms of this workspace. You need to stop doing this, stop doing that, which can just be as legalistic and harmful to your mental wiring. He needs you to be set free from the guilt of your sin for you to actually believe you're innocent, believe you're pure. This is the purpose of the blood, to cleanse your conscience. Where you stop thinking you're predetermined to sin. You stop thinking that's your wiring, you're made for sin. That's your nature. Like that's our default setting. And at some point we need to believe, did he transform our default setting? Did he transform our very nature? Did we actually become a new creation? And we can, we can use that and overemphasize that and then not live holy, which does nothing for us. But we need to believe that he actually did what he said he did. And that the old has passed away and the new has come. He's going to keep speaking that over us until the day comes when the Lord returns. And that you were an old creation. You were this old form of a being, but you've been made a new one. By being birthed to the Spirit. By the Holy Spirit coming on the inside of you. If you're not transformed by that, we have to ask, what would transform you? (laughs) You know? Have we become a new creation? Because it changes everything if it's true. And it means that a sin consciousness, a brain and a mind that keeps thinking you're just going to keep on sinning is actually the enemy. Because it'll keep you there. If you believe you're a tree at your roots that's a sinner, what fruit will you produce? If that's what you believe about yourself, that is what you will become. talks about that in Proverbs. So a man thinks, so he is. If you think you're a sinner and then try and be holy, good luck. If you believe you're a saint that's been purified by the blood and that you're actually called to live a holy and pure life and by His Spirit in you it's made possible, by His grace it's actually what was impossible for man is now possible through the enabling and empowerment of His grace, then we don't need to keep living as a sinner. That's not the gospel. Alrighty. Verse 15 finishes with, He died to release us from the guilt of the violations or the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So verse verse 15 seals it. That was His purpose. He died to release us from guilt. The guilt of not being enough, the guilt of never being enough, the guilt of continuing to fail and feeling crap about yourself. He died to release you from that. So if that's present in you today, then I invite you to draw near to him and, and let, let him share his thoughts about you with you because <laughs> they're different to that. That you are enough because I'm enough. You are sufficient because I am all sufficient. You are complete because my sacrifice was complete. It was lacking in nothing. You're not broken and in disrepair. You're not beyond hope, not beyond help. My grace is actually sufficient even in your times of greatest weakness. My strength in you will be made perfect. This is the Father we have. This is Jesus to us.
Jumping to Hebrews 10, verse 9. I'm going to go through verse 14 and 22, if anyone wants to track with me. Verse 9 reads, God, I will be the one to go and do your will. So by being the sacrifice that removes sin, he abolishes animal sacrifices and replaces the entire system with the new covenant. By God's will, we have been purified and made holy once and for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus, the Messiah. I'm just going to read that again. (laughs) By God's will, we have been purified and made holy once and for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus. So that's the reality. That was his will, that was his sacrifice, that's what it means. You've been purified and made holy by him. Verse 14, And by this one perfect sacrifice, he made us perfectly holy and complete for all time. And in the NASB it says, For by one offering which we're singing about his offering to us. He is our offering. He is the ultimate offering. He is the ultimate sacrifice. We don't need another one. (laughs) For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified or those who are being sanctified. So your perfection in his eyes is not based on anything to do with you. Just receiving what he has done. If, that, if there's a do, it's just receiving what he has done and, and what he says about you and what he says as a result of what he has done. He says he's perfected you. He says you might look like a broken vessel. You might look like, you know, that lump of clay that needs to keep getting put on the wheel again. But he says you're perfect in every step of the process. Whereas we're so human and we go, but I'm not this and I'm not this. and I'm not good enough and I keep cracking or I keep falling over. I can't hold water the right way. You're a vase in this metaphor. Um, He says, you're perfect, you're perfect, you're perfect. And let's go on the wheel again and I'll shape you again and again and again. Because it's not, it's not a, you get shaped by his hands and then he has, wants nothing to do with you. It's not, you're perfect, I'm done with you now. It's, you're perfect and I want to be as close as I can. I want to keep you in my hands. I want to keep molding and shaping you according to my will and purposes. And so this is, this is the invitation for us is to receive in humility that he says we are perfect and believe it. And this perfection embodies a completeness. It means you're not lacking. It means you're not missing something. It means there's not something like innately wrong with you where you'll never measure up. He's saying you're complete. You're perfect in my eyes. You you don't lack anything because I do not lack anything is what, what the Lord says. Alrighty. Verse 15. The Holy Spirit confirms this to us by the scripture, or the Holy Spirit testifies this. For the Lord says, I will give them this covenant. I will embed my laws into their hearts and fasten my word to their thoughts. So here's a a great imagery for those who are imagery based. The Ten Commandments were written on tablets of stone. They were external to man. They were something to be obedient to that was external to man. The new covenant changes because his very commandments, his very, 
his very ways, his word comes on the inside of you. It embeds itself. It gets written on your heart and your mind. So the new covenant is internal. He puts himself on the inside of you. It's not trying to measure up by the external rules. And really, as you read the new, the new covenant, New Testament, especially with Paul, he's like, yeah, it's summed up in love your neighbor. And you're like, how is that possible? Well, guess what? You could never love your neighbor without God's love first filling you and you loving him. So it gets simplified and simplified in terms of what was the purpose of the law and the commandments. They were still good, perfect, and holy, but we were never going to measure up to it. But his Holy Spirit in us makes it possible to love him and love others. And that's the fulfillment of the law. When Jesus is questioned on this earth, you know, I think it's by a lawyer even, of what's the greatest commandment, you know, and he breaks, he doesn't answer it, actually. He changes the question and goes, there's two. <laughs> to love God with everything that you are, essentially, as paraphrased and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law, but he puts it on the inside of you. It's not try and measure up based on some tablets on the outside. He goes, the tablet of your heart is the new place that I'm writing my word on. And the word of God comes into us. We know that Christ is the word made flesh. He comes in, inside, to live, not external. Anyway, that's the new covenant. Didn't know I was talking about that, but we're going to go there today. <laughs> Verse 17 did I skip one? No. And he says, I will not ever again remember their sins and lawless deeds. Or it even says, I will forget their sins and lawless deeds. I'll forget their transgressions. This is, this is the too good to be true of the gospel. This is Jesus' decision to forget your screw-ups is the reality for your life. He forgot them, so stop remembering them. Stop thinking you honor him by bringing your dirty washing to him, going, look how filthy I am, Lord. Look how filthy I am. It doesn't honor or glorify him. He's standing there going, I've forgotten them. Why do you keep remembering them? If you would start seeing me the way I see you, you would start to live the way I made you to. Our, our filthiness doesn't glorify him. Is a repentance of sin necessary? Yes, it's essential. None of that replaces the necessity of repentance, which is turning our hearts to Him. And I need to do it every single day because 180 degree turn might not be the reality, but a, a 5, 10, 15, 20, 45, 90 degree turn is necessary all the time. <laughs> and we need that. But we need to not think we, we honor and glorify Him by telling Him how filthy and unholy and unrighteous we are because we don't. Because He doesn't see you that way. He, he, his standards is the standard, which is He forgot your sin. He chose to. His decision over you and towards you is the final decision. If he's forgotten it, then that needs to become our reality that we actually begin to forget it, to remember not where we have fallen and start to rise up in who he calls us to be. Okay, I'm just going to jump into verse 20 to finish off this passage. I know this is a lot of word, but the word of God in this um, specific area and in most areas, just speaks it better than I could anyway. So hope you guys are cool with that. Um, this is again talking about Jesus. For he has dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God. I'm going to struggle with this next bit, but bear with me. For just as the veil was torn in two, Jesus' body 
was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. Just as the veil was torn into, the veil being torn top to bottom when he crucified, his body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. The parallel here is that Christ was that veil and we see the veil physically being torn, his body being torn and at the exact same time, the separation between man and God was ripped open. This is the new covenant that there is no separation, there is no distance any longer. There was literally a three-inch thick curtain that separated us, which again, all that's symbolic, but there was distance. Our sin was that three-inch thick curtain. And the sin needed to be dealt with in order for there not to be distance between us. And it was our sin. And, and this is the hard part and the beautiful part of the gospel. We were responsible for Jesus' crucifixion. It wasn't someone else's sin. It wasn't the sin of the world separate from our sin. Our sin put him on that tree. We crucified Christ. Our sin. Which is why we need to take that personally because he is a personal saviour. He personally saved each of us. He didn't just save the world as a blanket statement. He saved each one of us. Our sin put him there. But he crucified it. And he buried it and it is dead and gone. I might be finishing here. I feel like I am. Um, Hebrews 10, verse 21 to 25. And since we now have a magnificent high priest to welcome us into God's house, we come closer to God and approach him with an open heart fully convinced that nothing will keep us at a distance from him. This is because of Jesus. This is because of us having the high priest that we do, that we can come close to him, that we can approach him with an open heart. You're not going to be mistreated. You're not going to be abused. Your, your trust in your heart and life given to this priest is the safest place your heart can be. Your heart being open, vulnerable, and transparent, it is the best place you can be, is with Him. Because look at how He cares for His flock. Look at how He cares for His sheep. He is the shepherd who lays His life down. That's a trustworthy place to put your heart. Fully convinced that nothing, your past won't, unless you let it. No suffering will mean that He is distant from you. No darkness, no deep pit of darkness will mean he is separate from you. David writes that in Psalm 139. You know, if I made my bed in, in the grave in Sheol, you would still be there. Soaring on wings, still there. God's presence to us, especially since Jesus has given his sacrifice, there is no distance. The only distance in your relationship with him it will be that which you create. Because his heart for you desires no distance. <laughs> His, his heart for you desires closeness and an intimate relationship. It's what he, he died and paid for 
So a part of us honoring him and even moving his heart is actually receiving that. Even though intimacy can sound like a, an interesting word and can even be triggering for some people, he has a pure intimacy. It's unadulterated. It's not contaminated. It's unpolluted. It is perfect and pure, the intimacy he has for you. And everything that we know of intimacy, if it has perversion in it, it's because man's hands have got on it. His intimacy is perfect and pure. Doesn't mean you won't feel vulnerable, but you are safe in your vulnerability there. He's not going to force his own way. He's not going to force his own will upon you. He's, he's gentle as a lover and a husband. He is not forceful. So there's nothing that keeps us at a distance from him. And the reason for that is for our hearts have been sprinkled with blood to remove impurity. And we have been freed from an accusing conscience. Now we are clean, unstained, and presentable to God, inside out. So he didn't just clean the outside of the cup, he cleaned the inside. And he wants, he wants our conscience that is, is quick to accuse us to be cleansed. And the impurities in our minds to be removed. It's not just wash, washing the dirt off your external skin. It's there is impurities that want to get themselves on the inside of your mind and make you feel guilty. He wants his blood to come and wash the innermost parts of your being for all impurity to be removed, all impurities in your being to be removed. One of which is guilt, um, a stained conscience. So now wrap your heart tightly around the hope that lives within us knowing that God always keeps his promises. Discover creative ways to encourage others and to motivate each other towards acts of compassion, doing beautiful works as expressions of love. So because of the effects of his blood on us and in us, it actually is designed to move us according to his will and heart to encourage and motivate others. And I love the passion in that space because it says discover creative ways it's you can open yourself up to the creativity and wisdom of God in how to encourage and motivate to stir up to stoke to spur each other on for love and good works there's no ceiling on it he desires each other's hearts to to be caused to overflow by one another we're actually we're also designed in the same way to affect his heart and be affected by his heart to affect one another's hearts it's his design for family and, and for his body. It would be, would be those who are close and knitted and affect each other's hearts. And they're just like, you know, the fire poker that's just poking the coals, stoking them. That's what we're designed to be in each other's lives. Um, and it finishes here with, this is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together. Which speaks true in this time. As some have formed the habit of doing. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate that day dawning. I'm just going to invite the um, team to come up if that's possible. I um, just want to, want to linger on this sentiment a bit too. We, we appropriate that into thinking that has to do with a Sunday gathering. <laughs> The context that was written in didn't have the context for a Sunday gathering. 
their eagerness and desire to be coming together. And they're going, this is a real problem. People are actually having the habit of not doing that. They're actually choosing not to come together, which we saw in this last time, this last season, whether it's the lockdown before the last one or if it was in this last lockdown. And I am here to be conflict in one area, which is that was unbiblical. That was not God's heart for his children. And you can have all the right reasons for why we weren't gathering and neglecting together, but you're in contradiction to the word of God. Because we're made for each other. We're made to be his family. And, and Zoom can be great. And I've seen God move beautifully and powerfully there. But there was no grid for Zoom being how you guys were going to connect. And our connection goes deeper than a physical gathering. But his design is physical gathering. His design was the early church coming together. They came into one place to be with each other, which goes far beyond Sundays. And, and the invitation from almost you know 2,000 years ago is that we would be doing it more frequently. I don't know how frequently they were doing it back then, but it'd be more frequently. There would be an eagerness and anticipation to come together. And it's really not about us. It's about Him. And he knows that if we make it about him and not about us, that we're also going to be blessed through it. Um, we're going to be blessed by each other if we open our lives up to each other. If we try and do this thing independently, no matter how strong you are, you're going to be outside of his design. It's really that simple. We're made for each other. Us not gathering together in that time actually is sin that needs to be repented of. And if we weren't, and again, it doesn't need to be you came to a Sunday church, but if you weren't gathering with the saints during that time, there's an independent spirit that needs to be rebuked in you. Because you were made for each other. And you're actually outside of his design if you're choosing not to be with the saints, not to be with the family of God. I'm not saying there aren't seasons and times where you're away or you're going traveling or all these kinds of things. His family is all across the earth. But it's a part of our design and our makeup as, as new creations that we would be with each other, to glorify our King together, to image Him on this earth. How, how on earth is the world going to know where His disciples if they do not see our love one for another? If it's just hidden and not, not available, not on display, not manifest, it's not, it's not there to be seen. And our love for each other is what's going to affect this earth around us. The reality of us being united and one is, is what's going to affect this earth. We've seen how divided and how much disunity is on this planet. On, in this country, in this area. We need to be the answer to that, which is unity. We need to refuse to separate and it's not out of obligation or you feeling pressured or that there's any shame or condemnation if you're not showing up or being present at a Sunday. If Sunday's it, we're in trouble. I'll say that now. If that's it to the Christian life is Sunday, we're in trouble. And I do not believe we're honoring the blood of Jesus. I don't believe we're honoring our God. If we are not those who are eager and more frequently coming together, then we're in trouble as his people because we're not looking like his people. And again, this is a challenging thing, but to, to, go, to go home and actually think, what does it mean to be God's people? What do God's people look like? And at, at some point, some like, you see Moses on the mountaintop, he's refusing to go anywhere without God's presence. He's refusing to go without his people. At times, he's even willing to give himself so that their sin wouldn't be counted against them. There's a commitment and devotion in the heart of Moses that you don't even see present in the New Covenant, New Testament, people of God that should be looking much more like that. 
his presence should be a non-negotiable. Being together should be a non-negotiable. It shouldn't be an option where we can opt in, opt out. It's do you believe you're his people or not? What do his people look like? They're uncompromising in their desire to be together. They won't let anything stand in the way. They won't let anything stand in the way of his presence being honoured as a people, of him being glorified and worshipped. And um, yeah, we're just going to enter into that space again um, of just giving our King glory. And I really believe there is also a place just of being tended to in your own heart. I haven't said um, all gentle words today. There's a few harsh words in there, but it's from a place of desiring to see his people manifest on this earth, to see his family represented well and our father being represented well um, and he cares so deeply about our unity and our fellowship together um, so I did really feel to communicate that I wasn't planning on it but I felt that strongly so even in this time just open open your heart to him um, there's no point in withholding from a father that doesn't withhold from us um, so you don't need to stand up if you don't feel to you can if you want to um, you can just close your eyes, you can kneel, you can sit, you can lie down, you're free to do whatever you feel to do, but um, Jesus is here to be with us and, and he loves us and loves being with us. So.